Our scripture this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Listen now to the word from Proverbs. Wisdom cries out in the street, in the squares she raises her voice. At the busiest corner she cries out, at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof. I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refuse, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded. And because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you. When panic strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. For waywardness kills the simple, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, on this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O you who are our rock and our redeemer, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So I know there have been times in my preaching where I have read to you writings that are too dense, too complex, or too long for most listeners of any age to follow. One of the reasons that I commit such, that I continue to commit such homiletical malfeasance (laughs) is that you often reward me for it (laughs) by listening, by trying to listen, or by being good actors in convincing me that you're trying to listen. I plan to commit this sin again today and challenge you once again to listen well. I will begin today's sermon by reading a brief selection from Ralph Waldo Emerson, the 19th century American transcendentalist. As we have survived our, after we have survived our listening to Emerson's beautiful but dense words, I want to show briefly how in many ways they are consistent with the passage that we just heard from the book of Proverbs. Then I want to offer three brief comments on the source, the place, and the nature of divine wisdom as it relates to our lives, rearing children, engaged in public service, retiring from the active life we have long known in the region of our nation's capital in 2018. Two disclaimers at the outset. Emerson was not an Orthodox Christian. He did not believe in the personal God that we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
His God was much closer to being nature and nature's law than the God of, than being the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Ruth, and Boaz, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In addition, Emerson wrote throughout the period in which slavery flourished and then was eventually abolished, abolished in American history. The optimism he expressed about human nature has to be tempered with the reality that the nation whose culture he was helping define was only beginning to deal with its original sin. Though he was a leading abolitionist, it is hard to see how the passage from which I will read would speak to those in chains or anyone undergoing any kind of human trauma. Yet like many writers, including those who had a hand in shaping the words of Scripture, Emerson's words ultimately transcend the limitations of their own time and place. So as I read this passage, I invite you to listen for Emerson's affirmations. First, that the laws of nature are set. Second, that when we comport ourselves to such laws, life is rich and beautiful. And third, when we don't, life deteriorates. So here goes. The laws of nature, Emerson wrote, execute themselves. They are not subject to circumstance. Thus, in the soul of humanity, there is a justice whose retributions are instant and entire. The person who does a good deed is instantly ennobled. The person who does a mean deed is by the action itself contracted. The person who puts off impurity thereby puts on purity. If a person is at heart just, then the safety of God, the immortality of God, the majesty of God do enter that person with justice. If a person deceive, he deceives himself and he goes out of the acquaintance of his own being. Emerson continues, character is always known. Thefts never enrich. Alms never impoverish. Murder will speak out of stone walls. But speak the truth, and all things alive and the very roots of the grass underground will move to bear your witness. The perception of nature's law awakens in the mind a sentiment which we call religious and which makes our highest happiness. And the unique impression of Jesus upon humanity, whose name is not so much written as plowed into the history of this world, is proof of the subtle virtue 
of this infusion. So thank you. Take a deep breath. Shift in your seats. And now, on to Proverbs. Now remember what I said of Emerson as we listened to Proverbs. The law in nature is set. When we comport our lives to such laws, life is rich and beautiful. And when we don't, life deteriorates. So here now, as we read Proverbs, when you hear wisdom, think of the word nature that you heard in Emerson. Wisdom cries out in the street, in the square she raises her voice. At the busiest corner she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof. And I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. But because I have called and you refused, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded, and because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you. When panic strikes you, like a storm. For waywardness kills the simple and the complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me, who listen to me, will be secure. Will live at ease without dread of disaster. Now what occurs to me as I read Emerson and Proverbs back to back is that Emerson expresses the beauty of comporting our lives with nature and nature's laws, while in this passage, Proverbs expresses the danger of not doing so. Yet there is warning in Emerson, as there is reward in Proverbs, and so we're left with these three aforementioned affirmations. The laws of nature in Emerson and wisdom in Proverbs are embedded into the structure of our existence like concrete in the foundation of a building. When we live our lives consistent with such nature or wisdom, our lives are rich and beautiful as is the world around us. And when we refuse to live within the structure of nature or divine wisdom, our lives deteriorate and others suffer as well. It is a pretty simple message. So what is the source of this message? of these affirmations. I have to say that one reason I am attracted to the density of both Emerson and Proverbs is I truly believe that when we have to struggle to read and absorb something or even to listen to it in a sermon, we are less likely to take it lightly. The affirmations of Proverbs and Emerson are not like the peppermint we grab on the way out of ramparts and pop pleasantly into our mouths. 
While their affirmations are simple and basic and fundamental, they arose in an early history of the Jewish people with Moses on Mount Sinai. And they were developed further a thousand years later in Israel's wisdom literature as well as in other cultures of the world. The fact that they arose so eloquently in 19th century America during a time of national turmoil and formation reveals that at the very least these basic teachings about human nature, about right and wrong are as old as human history. In so much, in so much as for Emerson, nature is God. And for Judaism, wisdom is an expression of God's mind. These basic teachings are rooted in God's very being. They are who God is. They are who we are. They are who we aspire to be. Those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread of disaster. Now, what is the place in which these affirmations are to be made and followed? In the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, our reading comes from chapter one. The initial setting is in the home. Father to son, mother to daughter, teacher to student. But beginning in chapter 10, the teaching in Proverbs moves into the public arena, the street, the squares, the busiest intersection the entrance to the gate of the city. The affirmations contained in Proverbs and repeated by Emerson are thus not simply a moral code for family and personal relationships. Rooted in the law of God, rooted in nature and nature's laws, these affirmations apply to every community, every culture, every era in history. In our culture, they live in the family meeting, in the town hall, in the school board, in the classroom, on the athletic field, in the boardroom, in the halls of Congress, in the White House, in the Supreme Court. What we teach in home, in church, in synagogue, in school impacts the public character of our society just as it impacts the private character of all of us who live in it. This is why nearly every every sector of our society at some time or another becomes a field on which competing moral visions try to claim what action is aligned with nature and wisdom and what action is unaligned. The competition of claims can occur in the finals of a major tennis tournament, in hearings over the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice, in political advertising and rhetoric, in the differing viewpoints expressed in editorials, sermons, cable commentary, talk radio, social media, and in a national ritual 
before an NFL game. All of these sectors in our society are settings for a morality play in which we work out, sometimes with fear and trembling, the definition of who we are as a people within the structure of wisdom and nature that God has provided. Give heed to my reproof and I will pour out my thoughts on you. I will make my words known to you. So if the source of wisdom is God and if the place of wisdom is both private home and public square, the nature of wisdom and nature's law is ultimately one of hope. Now this may sound strange and naive to speak of hope. During a week in which we have been watching nature with bated breath, and it for sure sounds strange once we have gained enough experience or have lived enough years to have learned that life does not always turn out for good despite our best moral efforts. Evil happens, spreading like an undetected disease or erupting like gas explosions in a Massachusetts neighborhood. A nation conceived in liberty is also conceived with slavery. A storm fells a tree on a young family sleeping in their bed. Rain falls on the just as well as on the unjust. A marriage turns into a theater of acrimony. Death visits someone we love entirely too early. Violence erupts in the streets of our cities or among nations of the world and it is always, always the young who die soon. Some of us are born without our full faculties, while others desiring to conceive struggle. Even those of us who have accepted the inevitability of aging never conceived it would be quite so painful as it has proved to be for us. In a world like this, the hopefulness of Emerson and Proverbs can sound shallow. But the antidote to hopelessness is this. In the same section of the Bible in which we find the affirmations and promises of Proverbs, there is a book named Job which asks why bad things happen to good people and another named Ecclesiastes in which an aging preacher-philosopher looks back on life and concludes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. These books remind us that when we cannot come to worship and sing joy to the world, we can still, over time, sit the feelings, the skepticism, the pain, the doubt. 
and find our way to affirmation. After much struggle, Job is able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And Ecclesiastes is able to say, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. The underlying structure of wisdom and nature continues. In another essay, Emerson wrote, Secret retributions are always restoring the level, when disturbed, of divine justice. It is impossible to tilt the beam. All the tyrants and proprietors and monopolists of the world in vain set their shoulders to heave the bar. Settles forever, he says, settles forever the ponderous equator to its line. And man and moat and star and sun must range to it or be pulverized in the recoil. No matter how overwhelming our times are, personally or as a community, divine wisdom and divine nature have not changed. The equator returns to its line. Divine justice is restored. Star and sun, river and sea, range to it. So can and must we. Amen.